Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the Inner Life today here on this Wednesday, the third, uh, the Wednesday in the third week of Easter. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and so glad to have you along here. Let me ask you, do you remember playing that game Telephone? Uh, it's the game where you line up with several people in a row, uh, and at one end of the line, you have a message, some sort of phrase that's whispered to that first person. Then they turn and they whisper it to the next person in the line, and that person turns And to their other side, that next person, they keep on passing that message down the line until it gets to that final person. And then that last person says out loud to the whole group what they heard whispered to them. And if you have quite a few people in the line, if that original phrase has some big words, maybe words with lots of syllables or words that might sound close to other words, then the odds are pretty good that that final message is going to be pretty messy And nowhere near the original words, that original phrase that was whispered to the first person in the line. And I remember playing this as a kid and laughing at the way that some simple phrase could turn into this kind of ridiculous, nonsense mishmash of words. And even now as adults, you know, we can we can make those mistakes as adults on how we take what someone says, even if they speak clearly directly to us. I know I've said things to my wife that I thought were crystal clear, you know, that there was no way she could not understand what I was saying, but she took something completely different away from whatever I was trying to communicate. And it's happened the other way, you know, where I thought I understood what she was trying to say, but I missed the point. Uh, I thought the emphasis or that significant piece of information was regarding something else in what she had just said, uh, but that was something she didn't care about. The important thing, the thing that she wanted me to focus on, it flew right past me and I was completely oblivious. And then we have to go back and we have to try and understand what the other person was really saying. Have you had that happen in your life? Uh, If if you've (laughs) lived as an adult for a few years and had relationships with other people, chances are you've experienced that sort of thing again and again. Uh, Now, this week, each day at Mass, the Gospel readings are all from the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel. And we hear Jesus talking to the crowd of people that have followed him, and he tells them that he is the bread of life. Growing up myself as a Baptist, I was taught that this was Jesus speaking symbolically. It was a metaphor. But then as I learned about the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church holds that this is Jesus speaking literally about the Eucharist that is to come, the bread and the wine being his actual body and blood in the sacrament that Jesus will institute at the Last Supper with his his apostles. So why was this th- there this misunderstanding for other Christians? Or 
Was the Catholic Church the one who was mistaken on what Jesus meant? And for me, it was kind of like that game of telephone. And that game, if you want to know what was originally said to the first person, you go to that first person. But then if for some reason you don't have access to the first person, or let's say you want confirmation, was that really what was said? Then you go to the second person or the third person in line. And, the, and more, more of that original phrase, whatever that original message was that was whispered through that line of people playing that game of telephone, if you go back to the first or the second or the third person, you're going to hear more likely what was said. Now, that's what I wanted to do when I wanted to learn about the original understanding of what the Eucharist was, of what Jesus' words about himself being the bread of life. How, how did those earliest Christians understand the Eucharist? Was it merely a symbol? In looking at what the earliest Christians believed, everything pointed toward them holding the Eucharist to be the literal body and blood of Christ. And then uh, I ended up discovering one saint, St. Justin Martyr, and he wrote this letter that has come to be known as the First Apology. And not an apology as we might think of today, not saying I'm sorry, but rather an apology as in apologetics, explaining or defending the faith. And in this letter, St. Justin, he's writing to the Roman emperor, Antonius Pius, and Justin is making the case that the emperor should stop persecuting Christians for simply being Christians. But then Justin goes on in this letter to explain what Christians believe and their practices and their rituals. And this letter was written around 155 A.D., about 100 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And if you go back and you read this letter, it honestly is amazing how St. Justin's description of the second century Christian gatherings, it sounds almost identical, extremely similar to the structure of the Mass that we attend today. And St. Justin then, he goes on and gives this clear explanation of what they believe when they receive communion. He says, we have been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word, his word being Jesus' word, so we have been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word is the flesh and blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. So this is what the early Christians believed. It's what the Catholic Church still believes. Jesus is truly present in the bread and the wine, which After the prayer of consecration, after those words that Jesus gave us, they are no longer bread and wine. They become the body, the blood, the soul, the the divinity of Jesus. So if St. Justin Martyr made this clear in his letter to Antonius Pius, and if this is what the early Christians believed, and it's still what the the teaching of the Catholic Church is today, why do so many non-Catholic Christians today believe something different? And even many Catholics themselves say they don't believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. But honestly, that's nothing new because we saw something similar happen when Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life. People at that point, they couldn't handle this concept of receiving Jesus' actual body and blood. And this is what we want to discuss here today on The Inner Life. What is Jesus saying when he declares that he is the bread of life? And what does this mean for us? And so today we're going to discuss this with the help of Father Joseph Johnson, one of our regular spiritual directors here on The Inner Life. He is the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. And Father Joseph, welcome back to The Inner Life. And uh, I know right before we started the show, you and I were talking about um, diving into this. All this week we're hearing this part of St. John's Gospel, the Discourse on the Eucharist, and 
as you were talking to me before the break or before we started the show, it really struck me. I, it was something I had never put together. You you said you kind of have been struck by this parallel between what Jesus is saying here and also the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Yes, Josh. Uh, today's passage at Mass talked about this little digression, it seems, that Jesus is making after saying he's the bread of life. He talks about why he's come. Now, and if, if you and I were to, to say, okay, why did Jesus come to the to, to earth? You know, we would probably say something like, well, he came to save us. He came because he loves us. He came to rescue us from our sins and open for us the path to heaven. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have come to do the will of my Father. And a very important distinction there that Jesus reveals himself as coming to do the will of his Father. And he says that not just here in this passage, but in other places as well. Now, what is the will of the Father? That we be saved. Absolutely. But the first point of reference is not to our salvation, but to the will of the Father. And when you find how Jesus taught us to pray, he, he taught us to pray, Thy will be done which, of course, you and I struggle with not praying, my will be done. God, come on, listen up and, and do things my way, right? But thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it's immediately followed up by, give us this day our daily bread. So then, what is the relationship that we can tease out of this between doing the will of the Father and this daily bread? Jesus, who gives himself to us, as the bread of life, the bread come down from heaven. Uh, what what can we say about how those go together? And I think as I was praying through it this morning before Mass, what became clear to me is this. You know, doing the will of the Father is not an easy thing. You know, Jesus himself uh, had to lay down his life to do the will of the Father. And even at that, in the agony in the garden, he was saying, let this chalice pass, but not my will but thy will be done. So the will of the Father can be challenging to us, and on our own strength, we stumble. But it's Jesus' strength, the power of his love, which comes to us through the Holy Eucharist, that gives us the strength we need to do the will of the Father. So I, I think one way we can look at it is that way. Now, and you know, you mentioned the will of the Father is that all of us should come to salvation. Um, we come to Jesus, and it seems to me like it would be this kind of almost self-perpetuating cycle here that the more that we are united with Jesus in the Eucharist, the more often that we're able to be there in true communion, being able to truly receive him we're going to be able to better know what the will of the Father is and be able to enact that out in our own lives. Exactly. So, it, and, and it goes that way, that, 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 that we are more conformed to Christ, the more closely united we are to Christ, uh, then we participate in his obedience to the will of the Father. And, and that obedience uh, is something that we can want, but in order to actually follow through on it, we need grace. Our, our, our weakness uh, doesn't allow us to, to overcome things without his grace there to, to support us. And so, you know, as I mentioned, this being a difficult teaching, it's nothing new. It was a difficult teaching 
um, because at the end of this Bread of Life dis- discourse, there is the grumbling amongst the crowd, and they they say, you know, this is a difficult teaching. Who can accept it? And many who are following Jesus end up leaving him. And today we have that difficulty, whether it is Catholics within the church that don't believe in the real presence, or, of course, as I mentioned, other Christians who don't believe that teaching. Um, this this really is a hard teaching. Why, why do you think this is one of those—to uh, me, it, it really separates Catholicism and, you know, Eastern Orthodox Church, um, the different— um, Eastern Rite Catholic churches, it really separates us from anybody else who is a follower of Christ. Yes, I, I think if we can take a moment, Josh, to look at two textual analysis from the Scriptures and one non-textual. The two textual, first, you'll notice that in the the Last Supper, Matthew, Mark, and Luke give very clearly Jesus taking bread and wine and saying, this is my body, this is my blood, but John doesn't. And it's not because John has abbreviated his account of the Last Supper. In fact, he has the longest account of the Last Supper. Uh, you know, So why would he omit such an important thing? Because he's already treated of this uh, in chapter 6, where, where Jesus has this bread of life discourse. So that's, that's an important thing for us to fill in there and see how this relationship of John chapter 6 is to the Last Supper. And the second uh, textual thing is, there are many times that Jesus says confusing things to people. And then afterwards, what happens? He takes his closest uh, disciples aside and explains, this is what I meant. Right, we have that in the parable of the sower and the seed, for example. Right, he gives this about the seed that's strewn on the path, the seed and the thorns, the seed, you know, whatever. And then he takes this. He says, "Well, the seed is the word of God, and this is the person that that is choked off by sin." Or da da da. But here he does the opposite. He gives a, a, a challenging teaching. People are confused, and then, like those other times, he turns to his closest followers, and he doesn't say, "Hey, this is what I really meant." He says, are you leaving too? And that's a striking difference between those other places where Jesus was speaking in parables. Here, he has a direct challenge. Are you getting out of here as well? And if you look through the whole chapter as these people are objecting, no, 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 you can't mean that. What is this? This is disgusting. This is cannibalism. This is, no, no, no. Every time Jesus has an opportunity to say, no, guys, I just mean it symbolically. Chill, you know. Let's let's, you know, not not get all upset about it. This is what I mean. He doesn't. He does the opposite. He doubles down. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And so many times there, he punctuates it with "Amen, Amen." I say to you, which is the most solemn form of pronouncement. Where, where he's calling upon uh, this as, as an authoritative teaching, using that formula uh, to draw their attention to it. Uh, and so it's the opposite of symbolic. And then the one non-textual thing I would point out is, you get that beautiful example of, of the game of telephone. You know, and you and I think about that. Sometimes telephone is also called grapevine or, or whatever. And we, we giggle when we get to the end of it to find out how different it is from the original message. But in the ancient world, again, most people didn't write 
uh, and and books, of course, were very very expensive because they're all hand copied, right? It was the oral tradition that handed down information. We think about the great epics of the ancient world, the Iliad and the Odyssey. They were all memorized and handed down for centuries before they were ever written down. That's how good and accurate the oral tradition is in the ancient world. And so if you look at the practice of the church, what has the church done? Jesus said at the Last Supper, do this in memory of me. That's what the church has done. And so it's not that we come along uh, centuries and centuries later and figure out, well, what did he really mean? We look, what have Christians always done? They, they have been celebrating Mass. And that's the way they interpret it. And that's what you traced back uh, to the beginning. And so I think all those things together help us to see that, that Jesus is revealing a, a profound truth about a mystery of his enduring presence in our midst, not simply something symbolic. Another thing that I remember hearing years ago, and I, I don't remember who said this, but um, I, I remember hearing that, going back to you know some of the textual um, examination that you were talking about earlier here, that that word that is used, you know, for people to eat the flesh of Jesus when he says, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood, that that word eat, it, you know, we get it translated in English, but the Greek word can literally mean to chew or to gnaw on something. Yes, that the, the Greek word, you know, because like we can say that I'm feasting upon a beautiful sunrise, you know, uh, right. but that's not kind of the allegorical language that Jesus is using here. The 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 verb he's using to, to eat, of, you eat, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not have eternal life. That eating and drinking, the eating, it's like the verb you would use for a dog gnawing on a bone. Right? It's not a poetic, allegorical meaning. It's a, it's a raw, physical, tangible meaning. And that would be even more difficult for the Jews at the time because uh, unlike probably most of our American sensibilities— they had such strict dietary laws, and so you know, even even for us, we would say, well, yeah, cannibalism—that's <laughs> that's not good. But the idea of eating something that is unclean, that is not part of the clean animal group or part of the body that is the clean portion of the body of that animal, then that would be even more off-putting. Right, and and let's let's not forget, uh, you know, that that one word that that's a trigger, blood. I mean, what makes a lot of food unclean is blood. You know, that's why you have to have things have to be butchered in a certain way in order to be kosher, right? Uh, a woman after childbirth has to be purified because there was blood. So blood is, is one of those words that immediately, you know, sets your Jewish hearers on edge uh, because blood is, is so symbolic of, of, of things in their law. Uh, and so for them to be told you have to drink blood is the opposite of kosher. It, it goes against everything uh, of, of the law of Moses as they understood it. Uh, and that's part of what really grossed them out in that. We're speaking with Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's our spiritual director today. As we're looking at what Jesus is saying in the sixth chapter of St. John's Gospel, his discourse on the Eucharist, on the bread of life, calling himself the bread of life. And when have you had that time that maybe you've been confronted by someone not understanding what you believe 
in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? Did you have to explain or defend your belief? What did you say? How was it received? What has helped you grow in your faith, your belief that Jesus is truly present there, that the bread and wine, that they really have been transubstantiated to the body and blood, the soul and divinity of Christ? You can call us and share how that has impacted your life, how you've experienced that. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or you can email innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll be back with more here on The Bread of Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. If you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. The Inner Life with Josh Raymond on Relevant Radio. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us as today here on The Inner Life. We're talking about the real presence of the Eucharist, Jesus, the bread of life, and how have you grown in your faith and your belief that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist? Is that something that maybe you struggled with at one point? How were you able to grow and say, no, where I did struggle with that, where I had those doubts, now I no longer have those doubts? Or maybe you've had to explain it to somebody else who wasn't understanding what Catholics believe. Maybe it was something where, uh, as you were talking with them, they kept on just looking quizzically at you and saying, you really believe this? What did you say? How was it received when you did explain what you believe as a Catholic? Our studio line is open, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. And I want to also let you know, too, in a couple of weeks, about a week and a half now, uh, Saturday, May 1st, it's the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. And leading up to that day, starting this Friday, here on The Inner Life, we're going to pray a novena to St. Joseph, and I'd like you to, to invite you to pray that with me. Uh, so if you have any prayer intentions that you'd like included in this novena, you can email them to me here at innerlife@relevantradio.com. I won't share them on the air. They'll be kept private, but just know that all of those I'll read through them, and we'll, you, we'll include them all in the intentions as we're praying together starting this Friday for those nine days leading up to the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. And, uh, of course, I'll invite you to pray along with me at the beginning of each hour of the Inner Life over those nine days. So, again, email your prayer intentions to innerlife at relevantradio.com. And again, we're talking the bread of life today. Our spiritual director is Father Joseph Johnson from uh, Minnesota. And uh, Father Johnson, as we're talking here about the Eucharist, about um, Jesus's real presence, you know, we've been talking about some of these different ways that Jesus made very clear. You know, he didn't he didn't go back and give clarification. He let his word stand. And it kind of reminds me of C.S. Lewis. You know, he had that great line in his book, Mere Christianity, about where he describes that if somebody tries to claim Jesus is a good man or a holy teacher, but he's not God, that 
really that's not a possibility, a, a conclusion that you can come to. Uh, Lewis says you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, you can fall at his feet and call him Lord, one of those three options, but let, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so similarly, I look here at so much of what Jesus is saying in his continued responses, emphasizing again and again to the crowd about if you want to have eternal life, if you want to have life within you, you must eat my flesh, you must drink my blood, I am the bread of life. And I think just like Lewis points out on defining who Jesus is, in defining what Jesus means when he's talking about the, the Eucharist, he didn't leave the option of symbolism open to us, just like Lewis said, he didn't intend to. That's right. He, he gave us a challenging teaching, uh, but not not that room to kind of water it down and make it more socially acceptable, more palatable. Uh, and indeed, you see how he's been preparing for this. You know, he makes reference to the manna, the bread from heaven, you know, that fed the people of Israel their long wanderings through the desert. But also you look at other more subtle things like, uh, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, right? Well, okay, Bethlehem is the city of David. We know the Messiah is going to be a, a son of David, okay? But more than that, the name Bethlehem means house of of bread. House of bread is the name of the very uh, town where he was born. And then where in that town was he born? Well, you know, there was no room in the end, so he had to go to a stable, and his first crib was a manger. Well, what's a manger? Manger in French means to eat, uh, and a manger is a feeding trough. So if you really want to teach the meaning here, you see, from the very first moment uh, of his birth, Jesus is born in the house of bread, and he's placed on a plate. You know, he's he's placed in an eating trough. Uh, you know, already God is is showing us in so many uh, antecedent ways uh, the truth of this teaching that he gives us then in John chapter six. Everything points back to, yeah, <laughs> well, I should say points forward and back in everything, uh, you know, it, it, it all verifies. It um, makes everything that Jesus is saying, as he's saying, I'm the bread of life, it points right to that. Uh, you know, another thing that I was thinking about here, Father, is that in using the bread and the wine that become the body and blood, the soul and divinity of Jesus, God seems to like using just basic matter, basic things, everyday kinds of things to convey his love, his grace, his reality to us. The bread and the wine or in other sacraments, you know, water, water which is used mixed with the wine, water which is used in baptism, oil which is used in baptism and confirmation, you know, the sacrament of the anointing. Um, these are ordinary items ordinary things that most of us would have in our kitchen, but they become something extraordinary when they are used within the context of the sacraments. Even Jesus, you know, you just talked about him being born a human. While we can look and say there is this miracle of life, this beauty of, of life that is conceived and born, it's a normal thing because it's something that all of us have done. There is not a person living who hasn't been born in the same way that Jesus would have been born. Um, the conception might be a little different, but the born part, why do you think God likes to use those ordinary basic means of revealing and communicating himself to us? Well, I, I think God doesn't want to overwhelm us. You know, 
know, I, he, he, uh, when he has revealed himself, right, the, the, the people of Israel around Mount Sinai said, uh, yeah, don't, don't have him come to us again. Moses, you, you just deal with him for us, right? You know, the, the, it was such a tremendous uh, overpowering thing. God doesn't want to overpower us. He wants to gently invite us. Hmm. You, know, I, you know, Jesus didn't have to come down to earth. Uh, you know, it's it's not just the, the conception, and and of course the the birth itself is is different too. That that the, the the church teaches Mary's perpetual virginity, and that has some ramifications about how the birth process unfolded and all of this. But the fact is that he came, uh, he took on our human nature. He was with us. He could have snapped his fingers from heaven and said, "Saved," but he didn't. Right. So this incarnational principle is he knows he created us. You know, he creates body and soul, and he knows that it's through our senses that we perceive the world around us, that we perceive the truth of the world around us, and so he comes to us in ways that speak to our senses, uh, and and that's both in his 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 own person as the incarnation, and then through the things that he uses for the sacraments, and of course, what could be more basic than food? Without food, there's no life. When we talk about food. Jesus is saying, you only have life through me, you know, and, and that's what he has said in other ways at other parts of his public ministry. But here he's saying it. And what you and I know that, that the body has hunger and, and if I don't feed my body, my body withers away. And so we have to know that we are created body and soul and the hunger of the soul is every bit as real as the hunger of the body. And when the, the stomach grumbles, I head for the fridge. But when the soul has that aching hunger, I need to know to go to Christ to be fed. Mm. And unfortunately, sometimes you and I eat junk food for the soul instead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and like you said, the body, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get fed, it withers away and we don't want that to happen to our soul either. And uh, especially Correct. when we, we have, uh, as Christians, this ability to attend this heavenly banquet that is made available here on earth. It's the fulfillment of everything for the people that were living prior to Christ. And so, uh, it, you know, sometimes you sit there and you think, Father, how can people treat this just with such a cavalier, uh, just laissez-faire kind of attitude? Well, and, and part of that's the fault of, of priests. We we need to be so careful that everything that we do, that and of course it's always the, the danger of familiar, familiar, familiarity breeds contempt, right? That, sure. that we, the quote-unquote professional religious, we who are always in contact with the divine, uh, there can be a callousness uh, that that can grow there, uh, and sen- instead of a sense of wonder, and and so if we just go through, I celebrate mass every day, sometimes more than once a day, and it just becomes something perfunctory, uh, then then I pass that on, and it poisons the faith of those uh, who are there, because I've not shown by my reverence, uh, by my humility before this awesome mystery. I've not pointed to this. If our liturgies are more about a communal celebration uh, on the horizontal, it's, it's all about us gathering rather than that we are gathering to worship, right? And so that, that, that 
vertical thrust. Uh, it's not just a horizontal about us. It's us gathering together, yes, but to worship. And if there's not a transcendence, that's the experience we're looking for. Something that breaks beyond the horizon of this world and touches the divine. Hmm. Something that allows us to step outside of time and touch eternity. That transcendence uh, needs to be part of, of, of the liturgical experience uh, that we have. Uh, you know, and it's always that, that, that tension between God's closeness to us and God's distance as the, as the divine is, is completely different than the created, you know, creator and creation, creator and, and creation, you know, um, but, but, but Christ bridges all of that. Uh, and, and that's what we find. And in the Holy Eucharist, everything else is a gift from God, right? It's something God gives us. But the Eucharist is God giving us himself. It's Jesus himself, not a gift from Jesus. It's the gift of Jesus himself. Mm, that's beautiful, Father. And it's, yeah. Uh, our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Johnson, and uh, we are talking about the Eucharist, talking about the Bread of Life discourse, where Jesus talks about himself being the Bread of Life, of giving himself to us, his body, his blood, his soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. And uh, we're taking your calls here as well. The studio line is open, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. How have you been able to strengthen and grow in your faith, your belief that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist? Is it, is it something you struggled with at one point? Or maybe you had somebody confront you and ask you about it, and you had to explain it. And how did that go? You can call us, 888-914-9149. And Father, let's go to Sister Elizabeth. She's listening in Los Angeles. Hi, Sister Elizabeth. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Thank you, Josh. Good morning, Father Joseph. Good morning, Josh. Um, what stood out for me on your topic today is how Jesus teaching, how does this teaching affect us? So, of course, I thought of how it transforms us to be more like Jesus. Communion with community, the Eucharist unites us with other believers and how it gives us strength and endurance. And those are some of the graces. There's much more that we receive from our Lord. Um, but I also thought, how does this affect our priests? Um, back when I was a junior sister in 2004, I read the encyclical Devotion to the Sacred Heart by Pope Pius XII. And in there it said, and this changed my whole thinking of the ministerial priesthood, the three greatest gifts that Christ left for humanity are himself in the Eucharist, the ministerial priesthood, and Mary as our mother. And Ever since then, my love and concern for the men who are called to be Jesus' priests has grown. And so I realize that the gift of the vocation for the man who is called to be Jesus' priest is not just for him, it's for all of us. So I realize my obligation to pray for all the priests in our church. And also... Um, when I think about the three gifts, I thought of how the devil can do nothing to Jesus. He could do nothing to Mary. But so that's why, I mean, he can inspire people to burn churches and destroy statues. 
but he can do nothing to Jesus or Mary. And that is why the devil is fiercely attacking our priests. And I just wanted to say that. I just wanted to share and let everyone know how important it is to pray for our priests because their vocation is a gift for us. And through them, we receive the Holy Eucharist through their, you know, of course, Jesus through them. And I just want to thank you, Father Joseph, for your yes to Christ and um, and all your brother priests. Anyone who's listening, just know that we are praying for you. And we're so grateful for all that you sacrificed. So I just wanted to share that today. Thank you, Sister, for your beautiful insights there and, and reminding us of these wonderful truths. You know, part of, of what it uh, reminds me of also is another foreshadowing of the Eucharist, of course, is the Passover lamb. You know, Jesus is the lamb of God. Well, what happened to the lamb of God? The lamb of God was sacrificed and eaten. Uh, that's that's what that first Passover that, that becomes realized uh, at the Last Supper. And so there's a sacrificial dimension uh, to the priesthood, not just in presenting the sacrifice of Christ, the one one sacrifice, not repeating that sacrifice, but the one sacrifice of Christ uh, and making that present on the altar by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a sacrificial element of all of our vocations. You know, and uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, the, the venerable Fulton Sheen, you know, he wrote a number of things for priests, but in there, what he tried to remind priests of is that we are both priest and victim. Because Jesus himself is both. He is the one who is offering, which is what a priest does, but he's the one who is offered, which is the victim. And and, uh, Archbishop Sheen was trying to remind priests of that because we're all trying to duck sacrifices, don't we? You know, if if I can get away with with doing what I need to do without having a sacrificial dimension, of course, my my weak human nature is going to try and do it that way. You know, and that's the thing. Uh, a, a married couple, they have sacrifices they have to make. All those getting up in the middle of the night to feed the baby, to, to change the baby's dirty diaper, all that. There's a sacrificial dimension in all of vocations. But in the priesthood, we are called to live that out. And, and Archbishop Sheen challenged the priests and said, are you more closely united to Christ when you're offering with him or when you're the one being offered Right, and and I think that's where uh, we need to to look at uh, the priesthood in terms of that, uh, not just representing Christ, but being joined to Christ through this great grace, the sacrament of holy orders, uh, being joined with Him as priest and as victim, and I think. Uh, all of us, uh, including priests, when we suffer, when we come against these sacrificial demands, we try to dodge them, and and that's where things start to go off the rails in our discipleship. And I think we've seen that in family life, and we've certainly seen it in the in the priesthood. All right. Well, uh, the, again, uh, if you're listening, remember to pray for your own parish priest. Pray for all the priests, and uh, of course, uh, encourage you to pray for 
all the your local bishop and all the bishops and of course the Holy Father. Um, if you pray a rosary every day, you probably do that. That's that first hour father that we pray during the rosary is for the intentions of Pope Francis. Uh, our spiritual director today is Father Joseph Johnson. He's the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. We're talking about the bread of life, Jesus as the Eucharist, a truly present there and taking your calls. And you can call into the studio 888-914-9149, or you can email us innerlife at relevantradio.com. We're going to talk with Jason and Tricia. You both are up next here after this short timeout on the inner life. We'll be back with more here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Sometimes just before the sun comes up and goes down, your favorite Relevant Radio station may be a little bit difficult to get on the actual radio, so you can just head over to our Relevant Radio app. Relevant Radio, always crystal clear on the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life spiritual directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, talking about the bread of life. We're hearing Jesus tell us how he is the bread of life and that we must eat his body, drink his blood if we want to have eternal life in us. All this week at Mass, that's the gospel passages that we're hearing each day. And we're looking at how we understand that as Catholics and how we can apply that in our own lives. And we're taking your calls at 888-914-9149. And Father Joseph, let's go to uh, Tricia. Tricia is listening in Orange County, California. Hi, Tricia. Welcome to the program today. Good morning, Josh, and good morning, Father Joseph. Um, I wanted to share something, and um, hopefully you can confirm also, Father, that God the Father left us a great symbol, uh, which foreshadowed the Eucharist, which is the Ark of the Covenant. To me, the Ark of the Covenant is the greatest symbol of the Bible, and the summit of our faith is the Eucharist. And inside the um, Ark of the Covenant, there are three items that are present in there, and they are the stone tablets, the rod, and the manna. The stone tablets represents the Word of God, and the rod is the priesthood, and the manna represents the bread. So during the Mass, in order for us to have the Eucharist, we have to have the priest, we have to have the word, we have to have the bread. So when the priest says the word of consecration, the bread transforming into the body, blood, and soul, and of Jesus. Is that correct, Father? Yes, thank you for, for sharing that. The other thing it reminds me of is we were talking about at the top of the hour, the, uh, the connection between thy will be done and uh, also give us this day our daily bread that we find there in the Ark of the Covenant, both the, the tablets of the commandments and, and this, this manna. So, so it reminds us that connection of, of being united to Christ uh, is united to the will of the Father, is keeping those commandments, and that the Eucharist is what allows us to both be united with him and have the strength to keep them. 
Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thanks for calling in. I'm so glad you did, Tricia. And, uh, you know, Father, as she was talking there about the fulfillment of Jesus, those three different items that were in the Ark of the Covenant, that was one of the things that actually helped me along my path. Uh, You know, I'm sure many people who are converts from a Protestant or evangelical background, just like me, they've had a hard time just coming to terms with what the Catholic Church teaches in regards to Mary. And that was one of the things that helped me was looking at the Ark of the Covenant and saying, not only is it the fulfillment of Jesus, but we also see Mary, and we have that very deliberately then referenced by John's vision in Revelation, where he sees the the woman that's with child, and immediately it's the Ark of the Covenant that is there as that symbol. But, you know, just as that Ark is carrying all of those things that are fulfilled in Jesus. We have the new Ark of the Covenant in Mary, and she then uh, carries Jesus inside of her. But that also kind of gives us the opportunity, since we have the opportunity to receive Jesus in our own way, we kind of become that Ark of the Covenant, that holy uh, holding place receptacle that is carrying and transmitting Jesus to the world. That's right. And in a, in a way, uh, Mother Teresa used to speak about the Virgin Mary as the first tabernacle, right? Uh, but then a, a reminder that we're all living tabernacles. You know, and of course, there's the famous story of, uh, I think it was uh, St. Anthony of Padua, that, that uh, you know, some problems are not new in the church, uh, and uh, people would leave early for Mass even centuries ago. And so uh, there was a man who had received communion and then, and then walked out of church. And uh, all of a sudden, he's walking down the street, and, and he hears uh, a bell uh, ringing, and he turns around, and there's the altar boy with a candle and a bell. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And he said, "Father sent me out to follow you." You know why? Because that's how we'd have a Eucharistic procession with candles and a bell, right? That 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 when we receive the Holy Eucharist, we become living tabernacles, uh, and and to realize that, and to not think about grace as some commodity, like like I go to the gas station and fill up the car uh, with gas and it can go. So I go to church and I fill up with grace and then I can go. No, grace is the divine life of Christ within us. Mm. Uh, it, and it just blows your mind to, to try and unpack all that that means. Right. Uh, but that, that is how we are, like Our Lady, a living tabernacle. We're speaking with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, on uh, the understanding of Jesus declaring himself the bread of life, the Eucharist, the real presence of his body and blood in those elements of bread and wine that no longer are bread and wine. They really become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we're taking your calls. Let's go to Al, who's listening in Los Angeles. Hi, Al. Welcome to the program today. Good morning. Ed, Al. Okay, Father. Listen, um... Jesus Christ said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you're not going to have life in you. And I, I can understand that because uh, I, uh, years ago, you know, I broke away from the church and uh, tried to live without God. But then again, I said, no, no. So, well, that was in the military. Once I got out and tried to live a normal life, it, it wouldn't go right. So I says, I think I need God in my life. So I went back start receiving communion, et cetera, et cetera. And things changed. They're terrific. They're miracles. And then I'm, I'm hearing that uh, unless we eat his body and drink his blood, 
we're not going to get to heaven. Now, is that correct? Well, uh, yes and no. The, certainly, we would not say that if you don't receive Holy Communion, there's no possibility for you to arrive at heaven. That that would not be the teaching uh, of the Church. Uh, but what we do say is that in some in some way, everyone has to be united to Christ in order to get to heaven. Uh, even if that person is, you know, the famous story of someone who grows up uh, in a jungle and has never had a missionary come there, does that person still have a possibility of salvation? Yes, but they have to find the way uh, to respond to God speaking in their heart. Uh, but for, for us who are given this great grace, who are invited to this heavenly banquet, uh, who are shown the way uh, that Jesus is offering himself to us to be in communion, that is, in union with him, then yes, the Eucharist is that path. And Father, uh, Al, we're, we're just about out of time here, but just a, a little more clarification on that, too. Um, as you're talking about um, that we, we can have salvation without receiving the body and blood of Christ, that's more about the fact that God can work outside of what we look at maybe as being restrictions. But if we have the opportunity to receive the Eucharist, I think maybe the the better way to phrase this is rather than do I have to, it would be, well, why wouldn't I want to receive the body and blood of Christ if I have that opportunity? That's right. The the sacraments are the normal way uh, of God uh, interacting with us, but not the only way. Uh, but they are the best way. And so so for us, who, whose eyes have been opened by the gift of faith, uh, we want to run to the sacraments and, and be blessed by them. And, and just in our last minute here, Father, as we look, for those of us who are listening, and we say, you know, I really want to approach this with the right attitude, what is the best way for us to prepare to receive the Eucharist in a worthy manner each week, or each day if we go to daily Mass? So, well, I think the remote preparation, of course, is uh, regular confession, right? As we've talked about that connection between the will of God and the, and the bread of life. Uh, but, but that having our hearts uh, open, free of the obstacles that come, because that's what sin is. Sin is a, a, a blocking of God's presence in my life. So confession unblocks that, removes those those obstacles to God's uh, presence, because God cannot be united to, to what is sinful. Uh, that's that. And then gratitude. The word Eucharist means gra- thanksgiving. Right, right. So a grateful heart. You know, I, I, my school at my parish, the, the whole school goes to Mass every single day. And I asked the children, I said, children, do you have to go to Mass every day? And there's a no, Father, we get to go to Mass every day. <laughs> and and of course, last year, during the shutdown, our parishes, our churches were closed. We didn't get to go to Mass. And maybe the great good that God brings out of this uh, pandemic is that you and I don't take for granted the gifts that are offered to us. Right, right. Father, and so, to be grateful. Father Joseph Johnson, thank you so much for being our spiritual director today. And we've got about 10 seconds left here for a final blessing for all of our listeners. May Almighty God bless you and all of your families in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you so much, Father, and thank you for joining us here on The Inner Life. And of course, if you didn't hear earlier, we're going to be praying a novena to St. Joseph starting this Friday. So if you have any prayer intentions that you would like included in that, that you'd like remembered as we pray together, email those to me, innerlife at relevantradio.com. Stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next here with Father Edward Looney as the celebrant. And of course, you can stay tuned for class after Mass. That's The Faith Explained with Cale Clark here on Relevant Radio, and we'll see you tomorrow here on The Inner Life.